One, two, three, four. Close. Not bad. Here we go. Welcome to True Alignment. I'm Edgar Papke. I'm Ken Sagendorf. We're coming live from the Innovation Center in the Anderson College of Business and Computing at Regis University in Denver, Colorado. Good morning. Good morning. Info at truealignment.com. Emails. Uh, text us. Send us notes. Uh, questions, thoughts, comments, anything at all. Um, yeah. And both when we're on the air and when we're off the air. Feel free. You counted us in there this morning, Edgar. Yeah. Yeah, the band... Uh, the band striking up the band, uh, Nick Smarto and and the Skinny, just a fantastic, fantastic group of musicians. We're gonna get you to bring the guitar in one one week here. Can't mm. okay, we'll slow it all down. Willie Nelson, eighty nine years old, right? Put an album out on his birthday. Uh, saw some saw some uh, uh, shots of him uh, just. Uh, at, I forgot what fairgrounds it is. Uh, he did a he did a state fair somewhere. And um, just they had the largest audience they've had in years, a packed house. And uh, he stood up for some of the set and sat down and uh, just, you know, just. 89 years young. Still threw, sounds exactly the same. Yeah, threw him out there. Just amazing. Yeah. There's, there's something about that retro, right? I mean, of, of hearing Willie. Yeah. I, I, th- I think you strip everything away. The simplicity of it is. And this is the case, you know, Bob Dylan doing his own thing still today. Um, and, and Tony Bennett doing it till he was 95. And uh, just the ability to be that authentic, to be that authentic, to just show up as your true self. There's just something about that that you just cannot replace. It's not, yeah, it's just absolutely incredible, isn't it? It is. Uh, you know, I, Edgar, I had... Um I have just a flash of a of such a bright memory come come flooding forward there. So, my grandfather mm-hmm. was a World War II Iwo Jima Marine, oh. and he was a truck driver in the Marines, and he was a truck driver for his profession. He drove for the New York State. Uh, I don't know. There's probably some department of something something, but. Uh, we used to have a running joke. He would say that I could go on the truck with him when I was old enough to uh, shave and tie my shoes. And you're still not shaving; you're bearded. <laughs> <laughs> I almost called you something. I was close. <laughs> but I was, uh, I was eight or nine, and I would go. He would take me, um, you know, because tr- truckers can only drive for so long in a day. Yeah. And so whenever they would leave the central station in the capital of New York in Albany and have to drive out to Buffalo or anything like that, the drive was too long, so we'd have to stay overnight. So he would take me on these overnights. And I, you know, a couple of quick stories about this. One, the world is different now than it was then because I, I have two, 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 these aren't the memories that came flooding back, but I'll share this. One was we delivered food to the prisons. That, that's what that office did. Um, and I wish I could remember the name. I can almost picture the truck coming back, but we delivered food to the prisons. Um, in one of the prisons, some of the prisons... He, he wouldn't take me in, which is probably a good thing, right? Yeah. But literally, like, he would find some roadside stand, and he'd buy me, like, an English muffin and chocolate milk, and he'd be like, watch him, I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one memory of that yeah, take one. Take care of my kid for me. <laughs> yeah, right? Um, 
But I, I loved it. You know, we'd leave the house at like three in the morning and, uh-huh. you know, I was always so excited so I could never uh-huh. go to bed. So, you know, we'd, 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 he would literally, we'd literally like get in the truck, hook up to the trailer, drive out of the depot to like the diner where all the truckers went, which was, you know, at 10 years old was like awesome. Yeah. We'd have breakfast and then he'd say, you never make it further than Amsterdam, which is like a 15 minute drive <laughs> from there. And I'd pretty much sleep until we got to where we were going. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I love that time with my grandfather. You know, quite honestly, times are different because the other memory I have is him, him stopping and getting a quart of beer to drink while he's driving that tractor trailer. Um, yeah. Different times. Um, but, the, but that's not the memory that came flooding back. The memory that came flooding back is my grandparents had a log cabin that he built. Is this wonderful, you know, the master bedroom was up in the peak, um, you know, real old school wood fireplace that he stoked all night long um, in the winter uh, up in the Helderberg, in the Helderbergs. And it was uh, right on the peak of this hill. And the memory that came flooding back as we were talking about Willie Nelson was he was an old school country music listener. Uh-huh. And at that time in my life, I hated it. But there was a record player at the top of the stairs. There was a little railing. There was a closet right there at the top of the stairs and a little railing that overlooked the, you know, the kind of open floor plan, dining room, kitchen, living room. Yeah. And like a loft up there. Totally. And so that was where my grandparents' bedroom was. And uh, he had a record player. And the records would always be down there, right? I mean, and it was. It was old school Waylon Willie. Oh, Which is so funny now because I love that music now. Yeah, the storytelling, I mean, yeah. And and they talk about country music and storytelling. Uh, I, I don't know, I'm not, I think some of the stories are really good today, as they were back then. Uh, yet the, the I, I guess the um, the formula is different. It, yeah. it feels it feels very cookie cutter these days. Well, yeah, so it's yeah. poppy, right? I mean, I, I it, it doesn't feel as authentic. It feels yeah. like it was somebody's story once. But you don't feel like it's theirs necessarily. You know they have a songwriter as opposed to them sitting down, and this was like their experience you were witnessing firsthand. Yeah, very different than the experience. Woke up Sunday morning with no way to hold my head that it didn't hurt. Yeah. Beer I had for breakfast wasn't bad, so I had one more for dessert. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Well, and that's what we want to talk to today. We want to talk a little bit about how that, how, you know, change. We, We talked about this really, really early on in the podcast. Yeah, we did. Like episode two, you were saying, Jim? Yep. Yeah, we talked episode about two. leading change. Yeah, yeah, so we talked about it kind of from the from the leadership perspective. And I think we were just getting our feet wet in the podcast um, because we were, we were really, it was a leadership podcast in those early episodes. Yeah, that seems to be the direction that it had. Yeah, I mean, and so our, our conversation around alignment was really for the leader. Mm-hmm. And, and I think we've moved a little bit to be for alignment for everybody, right? I mean, just like we say all things alignment, now it's now it's sometimes the leader, sometimes an individual, um, but it's not specific necessarily. Do you agree? Yeah, I do. I wholeheartedly agree with you. And I do think that then the, the anchor in it all and the, and the central focus is this idea that um, alignment, alignment is life and everything is going to show up in some shape, form or another in our pursuit of alignment personal, relational, business, it, it is at the end of the day all about alignment. So, you know, I, as we, as you began that conversation with, with Willie Nelson and kind of the, the steadiness of Willie, right? Yeah. He had commercial success 
but never seemed to really change because of the commercial success. Yeah, it's interesting too because his background, um, when you think about him selling vacuums or selling encyclopedias and uh, and uh, not not being good at that, yet uh, promoting himself and going from radio station to radio station when he first started cutting out records and uh, you know self promoting at that level how what a different experience it is and i think it again it's the authenticity here's something that he knew that was a part of him an encyclopedia of vacuum cleaner isn't but here he is in his full authenticity promoting in a way yeah self promoting promoting just the core you know there's that element of alignment there yeah i you know i don't if you ever get a chance to watch they rerun they rerun um on on television, farm aid concerts, yeah, which are just phenomenal, mm-hmm. right? I mean, and that's when I think Willie, you know, that's the. I guess I think a little bit of outlaw country, but I actually think of. You know, just the 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 meat of his heart in the in the, in the, role of the farmer. Uh, that's what really comes to mind. Just that immediate connection of understanding, kind of the human condition. And, and never never tried to really go away from that, right? Yeah, and uh, this this then begins to unfold itself in a way that uh, it reminds us that the truest of alignment is when we're in alignment to heart and soul of really who we are. And that when we speak the language of alignment to leaders and we and we talk about change and what is what is your own change process look like? As you, uh, as you aspire to be aligned, and for leaders, the understanding of really how they connect in everything they do and their influence in the world to who they really are, and being able to understand it at that level to come to that, yeah, that that's really where the hard work also takes place because at that point, confronting our fears, uh, being challenged with the changes around us in the world, and how it is that we. Um, move with those changes and that at the core we look for further further alignment and yet we also have to be able to be not rigid we have to be flexible in how it is that we engage in and integrate with the world around us yeah you know Edgar I don't um, I'm in search of like I haven't been able to figure out who I am quite yet Um, I'm always I'm always looking you know I'm taking everything in trying to you know, try this on, try that out, figure out um, who I am. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I'll ever find an answer. I, I, I love, I love the connection I have with you because um, you feel a little kindred in that model too. Yeah, I think it's a constant exploration and uh, a sense of curiosity. We we have a great deal of wonderment about the wor- about the world around us. Yeah, and but and then I I say well I. The question is, what kind of wonderment do you have about yourself? Yeah. Well, we're on the air here, so I got to give the air quotes because, you know, uh-huh. I think that feels, it feels abnormal, right? That the messaging in our world is not that you're supposed to be in constant curiosity in exploration, but you're supposed to get someplace, right? I mean, this is the irony is that when I, when I hike, this might just drives my wife nuts. I'm like, where's the end? Where are we going? Uh-huh. She's like, just enjoy which is kind of how I do my life. Like, I don't, I don't know where the destination is yet. 
but it's kind of how I do my life. It's not how I hike. Um, and I think that that drives her a little crazy, but, um, you know, it's abnormal in the sense of that's, there's no message that says that's the version it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Right. You're supposed to, you're supposed to have the, the hill you're going to climb. You're supposed to have the, the journey you're going to get to, you're supposed to have the things you're going to have and obtain. You're supposed to have the answers to those things. Mm-hmm. So we want to talk about change. And so I was, I was telling you a story earlier where, um, you know, we have family friends that are, uh, you know, fiscal, fiscally conservative. And when we talk about, you know, kind of things we vote for, um, they, they fall on that conservative side. And, and when we were younger, my wife first and I were in a relationship, you know, these family friends and, and my father-in-law actually just said, you'll understand someday. And there are days, there are days when I actually do have a deeper understanding. Um, and maybe even more than an understanding, maybe even a little bit of a desire for the simplicity of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also, you know, my best friend, my best friend, Hank, um, you know, he was my roommate in college. We lived together for four years in college, illustration major. He was the art scene. I mean, I remember we used to have, there was a set of twin, twin girls, one that was in the sciences with me and one sister that was in, uh, in the arts with Hank. And so we had this, you know, weird connection across our two worlds, but there was something always I loved about Hank because he was my, um, he was always freer in my mind. And, you know, I, I'll tell you a quick, funny story. So I attended bar in college, uh, a friend of mine's bar. I attended bar in college, college bar. You know, it wasn't any highfalutin thing, but it was a heck of a lot of fun. And the, the three guys that lived together, my friend Jay, who's now a very successful proprietor in his own right, um, he worked the door. Hank was the DJ. Mm-hmm. And I attended bar. So here we are. 19, 20 years old, kind of felt like we had our, we were running our own bar, right? Yeah. So it was awesome. A little paradise. And, and, and Hank, um, you know, Hank was a big Rolling Stone reader and he would decide, you know, what music to play in the bar, music that he liked. And the, and the song that had made a comeback, um, Oh, What a Night, uh, Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons, is that right? I don't remember. Oh, what a night's the name of the song. I could probably sing it to you. Um, You wouldn't want that. But oh, what a night was a big song. And it would get requested like all night long. I mean, every bar at that time would just play that song over and over and over. And and Hank. Oh, yeah, people drank more that way. (laughs) So they did, right? I mean, you play what the the crowd wants. And I remember one of these conversations. One of these conversations I had with Hank and, and with another friend of ours that worked in the bar was people would come to the bar and say the DJ won't play my song. By the way, your song Jim's busy looking up the artist <laughs> show, I, did you find it Jim? No, no. I no. think it's Frankie Valley the Four Seasons, but um right Jersey Boys, I think that's the I So, it's late December back in You know this song. Late December back in 60 <laughs> yeah, something. Right? 60 it's something. <laughs> That's why I didn't commit. (laughs) Um, But the, uh, we would be, people would come to the bar and say, the DJ won't play the songs I want, I requested. And even if Hank 
would play the song, he'd play some alternative artist cover of the song. Oh. <laughs> Which, <laughs> and I, like I said, he's, he's, he's my best friend on the planet. I, I love him to death, but I can count the number of arguments we've had over the years. Three of them, by the way. One was because in our college dorm room, he would never go get the freaking vacuum from the front desk to clean our room. Like that drove me crazy. Um, one was, I thought about living in the fraternity house one year and he was pissed that I wasn't thinking about him. And one was, he wouldn't play the songs that got requested. <laughs> I'm sure there are more, but those are the three. Okay. Um, and I, I just, you know, having this conversation with Hank because he was so alternative. Uh-huh. And now um, we tease him and he even calls himself Corporate Hank because he works for uh, a major insurance company that has made its way uh, from international waters here to the U.S. And he works in their, he works in their marketing department. Um, but he's become very corporate. I mean, he went away from, I mean, there's a piece of art hanging on my wall that was a wedding present to, to Amy and I um, that he did for all of our friends. He did, he did a piece of art in a different color for all of us. Um, but now he's corporate. He, something has changed. I mean, fundamentally not changed, but the outlook on life and what he's chosen to do has changed over those years. And so, you know, that's always my curiosity is people change. What makes them change? What's behind the curtain on that, on that kind of change? That's a great question. Um, I had a lot of thoughts as I was listening to you and the story. One was I was waiting for the movie uh, reference to, to maybe show up. That's one <laughs> thought I had. Um, another one is, you know, Hank's, Hank's uh, uh, it sounded like Hank, yeah, the alternative guy, always looking to do something a little different. Yeah. Uh, always looking, in a way, he was manifesting a certain level of uh, being at the center of things, right, in a way. And how important was that to him at that point in life? And did that change? Did that evolve? Um, and also the context that we find ourselves in, you know, with, and we've talked about this here on the, on the podcast, is that we're all the main character in our own stories. And the context, the environments that we find ourselves in are constantly shifting and changing. It's, it's never, um, it, it's always dynamic. So it's never that predictable, is it? From one moment to the next, it can just change so, so suddenly. And so our, our, our storylines shift. And how much in that story then do we, uh, and is, is, is evolving and changing part of the seeking of alignment? Or is it at times the loss of alignment? Um, and so what, what does that teach us about ourselves and how it is that we respond to and we ourselves is I think there's two elements of this that are that are important to recognize here in this conversation one is change manifests in our external world and then we also internally ourselves as the self as an individual change within the context of that constant external so what is the internal self and what are our transitions in life what kind of endings do we experience what kind of beginnings do we experience or what kind of endings do we do we create and and what kind of beginnings do we create for ourselves and 
then for me, I think, and all the coaching work and the conversations that I have with people, it always comes back to, well, you know, what does alignment look like and what is it that you're really seeking? And you said a couple of things that are interesting. One was um, the constant exploration piece, the curiosity. And there was just something I saw recently, and I'm just going to kind of uh, capture it this way, that we know and then we seek. So knowledge talks and wisdom listens because wisdom is understanding what I don't know. And what do we or don't we know about ourselves and how curious are we about ourselves and our own alignment and, and what is it we're seeking and how does that then unfold as we move through life? Uh, what does that look like? And then the other thought that I had is when you mentioned freedom and we've talked about this here on the air as well as uh, freedom, the definition that I like to use is freedom exists in the moments that we are without fear. Without fear. And how much of a freedom do we have to really truly be ourselves? And how do we manifest that through life? Because sometimes people will look at us and see us through one lens, like you and Hank, and then at times they're surprised to see a very, almost a different person emerge over time. And then... I always come to, well, how much is that person really living through a lens of, of freedom to be who they really want to be? Or they, or is this the moment of, you know, that we're seeing is a, a moment in a person's life where we see a manifestation of being a, being conforming to, to the world around them? Yeah. You know, I think I guess the question is how much... Um, Right on a daily basis, we're asked we're asked for conformity. Yes, constancy is predictable. We're yeah, we had that conversation last week around Elon Musk, and <laughs> you know, here's a here's a call for conformity in his organization with the forty hour work week. Yeah, you know that that remote work conversation, mm-hmm. such a fear of the unknown. Every time I talk to a business leader, like I don't, <laughs> what have I heard? I've heard things like. Well, what if they're doing their laundry while they're working? Um, what if they're doing their laundry while they're working? Like, does it matter? I, well, then I don't have full focus. How do they know they have full focus when they're in an office? I'm sorry. I didn't know I, didn't know I needed to have an answer to my own question. <laughs> <laughs> I usually don't. Well, I, I wouldn't you know, be asking if I didn't know. I don't know. So, Edgar, you know, if we come back... You know, so we, you know, we, you know, I relived a lot of my memories of my grandfather and, uh-huh. and, and of my friend Hank and, um, you know, this issue of uh, conformity and change over time uh-huh. and the desire of a leader to have predictability, perhaps. What happens? I mean, let's come back. Let's come back to the alignment framework. Okay. What happens if the three human emotions, I mean, I think people sometimes when we talk about those three human emotions that, that yeah, people want met from FIRO. To, yeah, uh, from the FIRO theory. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. to, to feel um, important, to feel competent, and to feel cared for. Yeah, if uh, acceptance. Acceptance. Mm-hmm. If, we, if we talk about those kind of three human emotions, I think sometimes when we're talking with, with a bunch of business leaders um, and we're trying to get them to decide which is the one that they're going to be about, should we also be having a conversation about what to do if those move? 
mean, we talk about alignment between the customer experience and the employee experience. Mm -hmm. The world's moving around us. So you decide now that this is the customer experience we're going after and you align everything in your organization up through and including its culture and leadership to that customer experience. What happens, what happens if the customer experience has to change? It's a great question. I think it's a really good question. Um, and there, typically there's two ways, to, there's more than two ways, but the typical approaches to that. One would be, um, yeah, the customer uh, wants a different experience, but what we do is we lead them back to the one that we do best. And so we pretty much lead the customer. And the other one is we adopt, we, we adapt to the customer will or change, in which case then sometimes it's a kind of <laughs> pretty hard rewiring to undertake. <coughs> uh, we've talked about how individually we all have our preferences to, to those motivations. And so we think strategically. Is the customer experience focused on creating importance and significance in the emotional experience that the customer is having? Or is it about giving them predictability around competency and, and uh, you know, being good at what they do or being good at their decision-making? And then, of course, there's also the caring, uh, uh, you know, that, that caring aspect of, of what it is that we provide. And um, as a customer uh, is seeking something else, we then have the choice of whether, of how we respond to it. And so do we hold on to what we're doing and we innovate to increase the effectiveness of our product and service to delivering to the customer experience that we want to deliver to. And it, keep in mind, as an, if, you're, if you're looking at yourself as an individual leader, it's great to know what your preferences are and how strongly that you would then believe that that's the way to, to, to go forward. And then there's also the, the being more adaptable and more flexible and how do we how do we move and in, in in business what becomes important here is that could that have a complete effect uh, uh, a really significant effect on your product and service development your customer experience your marketing your branding all of that you can you can sometimes see organizations trying to manifest those kinds of shifts yeah and how difficult it is because the customer experience is also then a customer expectation yeah and so the expectations have to be met and so you know, there's those pieces. Now, and I'm going to take that back to Hank, too, because what is going on in Hank's lifeline or, you know, his, his journey through life where one becomes more important than the other yeah. or that there's an expectation of the people around him that he delivers to one of those expectations more than another. Well, you know, I, that um, Hank's not a different person. All of that stuff is there. I mean, as he's doing you know, wonderful work, and being very successful in his role at his company, um, he's taken those perspectives he had when he was younger. But you know, you know, we all um, we all got married. We all had children. I mean, yeah. we've all seen our parents uh, age, and and some of them pass away. Uh, life is really, I mean, all of life has changed over and over and over again. It's uh, yeah. Again, the the constant is to change, right? Yeah. So you look at it through the lens. And there's also, I think, something in that that's really important as we move through life. And this is a kind of a how-to that's built into it. It may not be obvious, but it's always there, is what is my definition of success? And how is that evolving? How is that changing? My definition of success in my 20s could be different than when I'm in my 30s or 40s. And um, I could be chasing in my 30s and 40s and then realize in my 50s and 60s my definition of success is retiring from the work that I'm doing and doing something else and 
and leaving something or a couple of friends of mine that their definition of success was their multi-million dollar home. And um, now the definition of success is having freedom from that. Yeah. They're, not, they're not anchored <laughs> to that any longer. Yeah. That's not what they're, so the definition of success changes and evolves as we change and evolve. And I think that's really, really important to recognize because sometimes our definitions of success is not our own. Yeah. It's, it's merely what we're getting from the people around us to say, oh, mirrored this is, yeah. yeah, it gets mirrored back. It gets fed back to us in a way that says, oh, yeah, here's, you know, I see you as being really successful. And internally, there's a struggle because it's out of alignment. That definition of success is no longer my definition of success. So you're seeing me in a very different way. Yeah. And then here, here it comes. That, there's the internal conflict. Unless I confront that, unless I become really curious about the choices and decisions I'm making. Um, knowledge is what we already know. Wisdom is what we don't know. And so listening to ourselves and understanding ourselves becomes so, so powerful. I, 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 think the, I think the foremost curiosity of life, and I'm not sure how much we talk about it, I think the one thing that we're probably most curious about, yet don't talk a lot about in terms of curiosity is ourselves. Well, it's interesting you say that, right? Because the self-help world mm-hmm. is gigantic. I mean, financially gigantic, the self-help world. It is. Right. And some of our contemporaries right now, I mean, um, the Brene Browns of the world, I mean, they are just so, so popular because people are in search of, they're in search of something for themselves. Yeah. When you look at Stanford, uh, you know, the course on happiness at Yale, the course yeah, on life yeah, design yeah. at Stanford, take a look at what's happening. Uh, it's, it's, and this is, you know, you and I talk about this a lot. This is the age of awareness that we're in. And in the school of really psychology and coming to the depth of knowing about human behavior at the level that we do now has never existed before. And it's been accelerated through the same time frame as the Industrial Revolution. Yeah, It's not lagging far behind the advent of the Industrial Revolution, which led then to people beginning to ask more and more, what's life really about? There's this, this shift. You know, you go back into the, uh, what, uh, when was the first stock market really created, right? Back in in, uh, in the Netherlands. And you think, it, this is only a few hundred years we're talking about. And this, uh, we're, we're, it's almost like a, like a really great new product coming into the market. And you just see it over a longer, a longer time frame. So the newness of the world of psychology and self, self-knowledge, an increase in... Uh, developing our, our capability to develop our own awareness is actually, it's, we're still, I, I think, at, at, the, at the front end of it. Yeah. You know, uh, I mean, you just had, you gave me a little self-epiphany there about my own, my own work here in higher ed. Um, you know, and I, I, I think I've shared this. I know I've shared it with you. I don't know that I've shared it with our listeners. Um, but in the, in the name of being more honest, you know, in the last few years, I've had a real conversation. Should I take this 25-year-plus career in higher ed and walk, walk away? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that was a really difficult conversation. I've, so many of these life turns where you, you, you think, here's who I am, here's how I define myself, and then you find something new that you enjoy and you're trying out, and then you're, you, you, you naturally get to the idea of, well, then who am I? And so... It was the curiosity showing up. Totally. You know, when we started this innovation center, 
um, you know, the intent, I mean, and my, listen, my colleagues don't like me to say this out loud, but the intent of the innovation center was to break business education and rebuild it for modern times. And I, and I think that was, um, I think that's still in my heart. Mm-hmm. That's still in my heart is to really break business education and rebuild it for modern times. The thing I haven't figured out in the last six or seven years in the innovation center is how do I get the people that are clinging, my colleagues that are clinging to the past models. I mean, and I'm going to go, I get on a plane on Wednesday. I'll be at a conference in uh, Pomona, California. And on Friday, I'll be presenting a session with some, some colleagues from around the planet on, uh, you know, saving the soul of business education, mm-hmm. which is, you know, what you and I talk about, the business at, at the end of the day is human to human instead of uh, corporate to dollars. And so, um, you know, I still believe that's at the core of what I do, and that's probably what, what led me to, to stick around in, in higher ed. It's probably why I get asked to do, to take on more leadership roles but the biggest thing that I'm challenged with is the world is changing around us and we're trying to do the same thing. So you mentioned earlier, Edgar, that, you know, if that, you know, a company can, once it's decided on that human emotion is trying to meet, it can do certain things to keep active in its market. Um, we're having the world change around us and we're not actively changing. I mean, we're just, doing the same thing and expecting a different result. Yeah. I, we, I mean, we don't, we don't have a curiosity. I mean, I think that's the thing that bothers me the most is we just don't have a, we don't have a playfulness. We don't have a curiosity. And, and I think this is going to be, if higher ed falls, which I don't think it'll all fall because some of it's just too, too big. Um, but some of the smaller institutions that, that will fall, they're going to fall because they're hanging on to something and not, not, curious about the changes going on around them. Yeah, two thoughts come to mind about what you're saying and your panel and the conversation you're going to be having out in Pomona. The first one is to enter it with a, with the idea of curious confrontation, which is to be able to uh, to say what you're saying now. You know, step into the conversation by saying, you know, let's confront what we have and let's get curious about what's going on and what's moving forward, what's keeping us from moving forward. And having those kinds of conversations through the lens of inquiry, again, uh, knowledge talks, <laughs> yeah. wisdom listens, and let's 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 create some wisdom around this. Yeah. That's one. The other aspect I think would be as part of the conversation is to explore how individual imagination and the collective imagination come together. This is something that Tom Lockwood and I explored in the book Innovation by Design. This idea of you know, what what creates the collective imagination, and it's interesting because now I'm going to go back to the Fyro theory piece, that there's three key ingredients to how collectively we we come together to innovate and to create change and move forward. One is participation, so we satisfy that need for connectivity and and that everybody needs to be involved because everybody matters. Then the second one is our pursuit of knowledge. Let's get clear on what we know and don't know and be curious about exploring what we don't know. And then the third one is free expression. And to have curious confrontation, you need that free expression. You need to be able to step into what your truth is, what you think, see, and feel, and be able to to speak to that. 
So, and I think this is a primary lesson for all leaders to learn is what does the collective imagination look like? What drives it and what makes it happen? Because if leaders are unable to create the participation, if there's not a constant pursuit of knowledge in their organizations or in their enterprises, and there's not this sense of openness and free expression for people to be uninhibited in sharing what they think, see, and feel, it's going to be really difficult. And, and those also then are the elements that help people to manage and work through change at an individual and collective level. So there's a, there's a real, there's a, what I would suggest to you is one of the strongest how-tos available is just by thinking about what does the, that collective imagination look like and then also to see how individual it is that it's difficult to innovate and create change on your own. It's, a, it's, it's very difficult to do it unless you, you're increasing your knowledge, increasing your capability, competence and capability. And, and last and not least, you got to be honest with yourself and you got to be honest with the world around you for it to work. Yeah. Okay. Movie reference. Uh, it's a little bit of a throwback movie. Okay. Um, the movie Juno. Did you yeah, see Juno? Absolutely. Yeah. Right. So the Juno is this uh, kind of exploration of, of people figuring out what they're really about. Yes. Over the course of that movie, right? I mean, we're standing for certain things. We're learning more. I mean, that curiosity of letting things in to really get to a place of, of what you're going to be about. Letting things in and also letting go. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know where that movie came from. That was kind of out of left field there. It's a good one. It's a good one because it definitely pushes a lot of buttons of things that we think are are they the way they are certainly reminds us that it's not always. It just isn't. So, Edgar, we covered a lot of ground today. Yeah. Say hello to Hank for me, will you? I will. I'm going to see him next week. We're going fishing. Oh, nice. Hank and, and my friends Doug and Scott, and um, this will be the fifth year um, we had a break in the COVID year um, where we did not go, but this is the fifth year that we've um, committed to doing this with one another. And, and, and I will share with you, I mean, this is the – this is the pattern of the day. Um, you know, we get up a little after six. We have a cup of coffee. Uh, we go out on the boat. We fish till nine. And sometimes we're just uh, fishing in silence. I, you know, the one thing I enjoy about these guys is we will reminisce and retell stories we've retold hundreds of times. And we can sit in silence, right? There'll be a song on the radio and four of us will be singing along to the song and not talking to each other. And it's just the fact of being with each other, my, my sides and my cheeks will hurt from laughing uh, uh, at how much we make fun and poke fun at one another. I mean, Especially I, when you play Oh, What a Night Over. <laughs> and it was in 63, <laughs> by the way, late December uh, back in 63, 63 yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. yeah so um, Hank will probably kick me that I forgot. Who's the one. artist, Jim? That was the Four Seasons. Ah, there you go. good call. Jersey Boys, right? I mean, that yeah. there's your other movie reference. That's, uh, you know, the story I saw of the Jersey play. Boys. Yeah, I, no, I saw the movie. I saw the play. It's great. Yeah. All right, then we're out of time. Sorry. Uh, no, uh, thank you. Um, no, thank you. You know, I love this. Uh, I just, you know, knowledge talks and wisdom listens and, and this idea of curious confrontation and letting other things in. Thank you, Edgar, for your wisdom today. Oh, thank you. I'm not, I, I, and the uh, knowledge talks I, I, and uh, wisdom listens, I actually think that's Jimi Hendrix. Mm-hmm. Give credit where credit is due. No doubt. All righty. From, from Willie Nelson to Jimi Hendrix, only here on the True Alignment Podcast. <laughs> there it is. There it is. Covering the span. And Thank they both enjoyed psychedelics. Okay, so with that being said. 
<laughs> I'm Ken Sagendorf. I'm Edgar Papke. Thanks for joining us. Let us hear from you. And uh, we'll see you next time around on the True Lyman Podcast. Podcast. See ya.